John Ziegler here. Excited to announce that we have our first sponsor of the Individual One podcast. Now, as you'd probably expect, I do not do endorsements unless I actually use the product. And I just started using this one. It's Imbue CBD. If you're a golf fan like I am, and you've probably read about how CBD is all the rage with all sorts of respected people raving about the various positive physical aspects of CBD, especially among people like me who are, let's face it, starting to feel the impact of aging. Recently, I started trying multiple products from Imbue CBD, and I can already tell that, among other things, I am for sure sleeping more soundly. And my wife says she loves the Imbue CBD facial cream, although, to be honest, she doesn't need it. In case you haven't heard, CBD is the powerful extract from the hemp version of cannabis. And while it may offer many of the health benefits of marijuana, there's no high, it's legal, and doesn't require a prescription. The source I trust for CBD is Imbue CBD. This is a top-of-the-line product and classy in every way. Consequently, Imbue CBD is not inexpensive, but I got you a discount to explore all the many ways CBD might be able to help you. Go to ImbueCBD.com and get 25% off when you enter John Z. Again, enter John Z for 25% off at IMBUECBD.com. That's ImbueCBD.com, promo code John Z. This is episode number 115 of the Individual One podcast. For the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. And I'm your host, John Ziegler. We are broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the critically acclaimed program which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a truly conservative perspective, because unfortunately no one else is willing or able to tell the real truth about him. And unlike the corporate media, we here at the Individual One Podcast have most definitely not been compromised or co-opted. Welcome to the program. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Individual the Number One Pod. That's at Individual the Number One Pod. We've been doing this podcast now for well over a year. Uh, we intend to do this at least till the end of the year through the election. And it has evolved in ways that I never would have anticipated. For instance, I never would have thought that it was possible, even in theory, that I would even conceive of possibly supporting Donald Trump in this particular election. I'm not going to. Uh, but if over the last four or five months with the coronavirus uh, crisis, he had actually shown me something, some real leadership, and fought back against this liberal insanity that the country is currently bathing in and appears to be maybe uh, doing so for the long term, I was open. I was open to the idea that, you know what, uh, maybe he's the only hope there is, as bad as he is, uh, to uh, fend off uh, this uh, onslaught uh, of insanity from the left. Uh, he did not show me anything. And in fact, uh, I, I have been exceedingly disappointed and am probably more angry uh, that Donald Trump is president today than I ever have been because I truly believe that most of what is happening on the left is allowed to occur because Donald Trump is president. Most Trump supporters can't comprehend that. They really, that sounds absolutely insane to them. I love the poorly educated. But the, I truly do believe the reality is that the country and conservatism and the Republican Party would all be in far, 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 far better shape if Hillary Clinton had won the 2016 election. There would have been costs to that, 
absolutely. But the future would be, especially considering where we currently are, far brighter than it now is, because now the circumstances are such that the Republican Party has been maybe permanently debilitated to even fight back against this liberal nuttiness that appears ready to completely take over the country. There has already essentially been a coup. Uh, a social and cultural coup. Every element of society that is controlled by liberals, the media, science, academia, uh, social media companies for sure, uh, teachers' unions, uh, you know, medical science, every, every element of society, uh, even the ju- judiciary, which is supposedly conservative, has effectively just said, you know what, uh, we're, we're, we've had it with Trump. Uh, we don't have patience for the election. We're just going to take over everything uh, right now. And that's Trump's fault. That's in, in its origins. That's Trump's fault. Without Trump, the left wouldn't have the weapons to do this. And, and so that's one element of this uh, podcast I never anticipated being possible. Somewhat related to that is I never anticipated we would talk so much about balls on this show. Uh, I'm not going to get into that. Uh, but it basically started with uh, my view that Robert Mueller lost his balls and that old white men who have been successful tend to lose their balls at the end because they're terrified of whatever might be the last chapter. And when you need a guy like Robert Mueller to step up, uh, he wasn't there. And I, I truly do believe that Robert Mueller blew it uh, with the entire Russia investigation on multiple levels. And it was mostly because he lost his balls. And, and, and this is an issue uh, for which I have a lot of passion because I believe we have become a ballless country. Even before this coronavirus insanity, uh, we have become uh, completely neutered. And I really believe that the, the neutering of America uh, uh, through political correctness and, and all sorts of other demonizations of, of what was perceived to be masculinity uh, is a large part of why Donald Trump became president. Because Donald Trump was able to convince people that it was fake, but he was able to convince people, I'm the guy with balls, as he has recently referred to himself ludicrously as the lone warrior. He's the one guy that's going to fight back for you. That's what his fans think. And they're looking around saying, no one's fighting for me. The Republican Party is a bunch of wimps. You gave us John McCain and Mitt Romney, and they didn't fight hard enough, and that's why they lost to Barack Obama. And now now we need a fighter. We need a guy with balls. And for a country that was basically built on the concept of maybe even having, you know, we were all balls. The United States of America was all balls at one point. Now we got no balls because it's been completely demonized, the entire concept, and Trump has taken huge advantage of that. And, uh, and so when it came to this crisis, I've been asking, where are the balls? I was told there would be balls. I even said that at an at a anti-lockdown protest early on uh, dur- during uh, this nightmare. Uh, so where are the balls? And I've never believed that Trump really had balls, I mean, he's, he's a fraud. He, he's a con man. Uh, he's someone who, who has created a fake persona that his fans have bought into for reasons that I've just uh, articulated. And so I wasn't expecting much, but I was expecting something. And instead, we've gotten almost nothing. And I really believe that Trump uh, has been exposed as either never having any, any balls or he has lost whatever balls he had. And with that, he is effectively, at least now, temporarily, maybe permanently, lost his presidency because 
his the one thing he always understood through every crisis. This is why he never apologizes, for instance, even when he should. He's always understood you don't give up your balls. You give up your balls, you're done. You're dead. That's all he has. Well, during the coronavirus crisis, he has, on numerous occasions, given up his balls, if he ever really had them. He gave them to Dr. Fauci, and he most recently has given them up once again in essentially surrendering to things that I don't personally think he should be surrendering to. Uh, he's now reversed himself on masks, for instance, now claiming that masks, wearing masks are patriotic, even tweeting a picture of himself wearing a mask. He has now canceled the Republican convention, uh, scheduled the second time, first for North Carolina, then for Florida. Now, I don't know w- whether or not the logistics and, and the, the realities made it impossible for that convention to happen. But this is a guy who was claiming he was going to be able to do his rallies. And he did that disastrous rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where almost nobody showed up. And, and now he's not going to have his Republican convention. Even his, his push to force public schools to be fully open has been largely muted. Uh, this was what I described. In fact, we did an entire podcast a few episodes ago uh, in early July, where I predicted this was his last best hope to turn the election around, as if he is if he went all in on opening schools and said, we've got to do this, it's safe to do it, and bet against the virus. Bet on the idea that schools being open in September, October, you're going to put Democrats in a difficult spot because if they're against school opening, uh, then you know suburban moms might be irritated, especially if competing or other school districts around the country are open and there's no big problem, and they're forced to have their kids at home with this bullshit uh, online learning, which is not really school. Well, even there... Trump has done a lousy job on this. And frankly, uh, in, in a way that I didn't even anticipate, there's been a backlash to Trump uh, and his view on schools that is really very telling, very, very telling about what's really going on here. Now, this is really not about science, that this really is about politics, because it, almost every element of this, whether it's whether it's masks or whether it's a school opening or in a moment we'll talk about uh, hydroxychloroquine. I mean, almost anything that Trump is in favor of or against, uh, all of a sudden the left decides that the science says the opposite. The facts be damned. Facts don't even matter. Uh, But, I mean, it is becoming very obvious that whatever Trump is in favor of, the left is against. And whatever he's against, the left is in favor of. And it's not about science. It's, it's really not. It's obviously about politics. It's obvious. And some of it might be subconscious. Some of it might be subconsciously the left just having this uh, Pavlovian reaction to Trump that he is always wrong. Therefore, we must always take the opposite position uh, of Donald Trump. And and this pattern has now emerged to the point where I've now, uh, you know, no longer give any credibility to this kind of reaction because they're telling me it's about science when it's not. It's not about science. It's about politics. It's about your view of Donald Trump. See, I'm in a very, very, very small boat on this whole thing because I am objective enough to remove my hatred of Trump 
You know, I get accused all the time of having Trump derangement syndrome. If I had Trump derangement syndrome, I never would have had my view of the virus the way that I uh, that I view it, because the reality is everyone's viewing the virus through the prism of Trump. And if you hate Trump, you presume that, you know, the, the virus is the worst thing that's ever happened because you want to blame it on Trump. Uh, and you presume that masks are magic because at one time Trump was against masks and you're now against school being open because he wants schools open and it, it's just garbage. That's not the way this is supposed to work. And so it's obvious that Trump has has either lost his balls or never had them and that this is creating a massive problem for any chance he has to be reelected because he can't find a narrative with regard to the virus that works for him. He can't. And I'll bet it frustrates the hell out of him. I got to say, I am almost impressed by how restrained Trump has been with regard to not exposing what has to be deep, deep frustration with regard to how this whole thing has evolved, not just because it's been bad for the country and as for his reelection prospects, but because, frankly, a lot of his instincts have turned out to be pretty decent, but he didn't follow them or he didn't follow them all the way through. And and therefore, he's now caught. He's now caught in a situation where there is no narrative that makes any damn sense because he's flip-flopped so many times for him to sell to the American people with regard to where we are when the, with the virus, where we came from, and where we are heading. He made a major mistake by discounting it at the beginning. By the way, part of the reason why he discounted it at the beginning was because you know who else was discounting it at the beginning? Dr. Anthony Fauci was. Then the media won't tell you that, but in January... Dr. Fauci was saying this is not going to be a big problem in the United States of America. And, of course, in March, as we talked about last week, he was saying we don't need to be wearing masks in the United States of America. Masks probably don't even work. Well, I mean, and Fauci's been wrong constantly on this. And I believe that one of the great mistakes politically that, that and maybe even from a policy standpoint that Trump has made is he effectively abdicated his presidency to Dr. Fauci. At a certain point, because once he realized the this is not a big deal, isn't going to fly. He went completely and totally in the other direction. Correct. He went, uh, I believe, too far in the other direction, decided I'm a wartime president. This is the biggest thing that's ever happened. We are going to accept that the, the, this is a massive cash catastrophe and a crisis. And this is going to be give me huge powers. And with the huge power of the federal government, uh, I'm going to be able to uh, eventually fix this and and people give me credit for it, what have you. I guess that was his theory. But a few things have happened that have not made that possible. One of which is the virus has not gone away. In fact, in many ways, based upon the data, it has gotten worse. The, the cases have exploded in recent weeks. The death rate has not exploded, but it has gone up slightly uh, from what it was. We're, we're now approaching uh, about 1,000 coronavirus deaths uh, per day of or with coronavirus. That's an important distinction to make, uh, which is much lower than it was back in April, but still way higher than it should be. But I, I think that when the history is written here, of course, it will be written by people who are not objective on the on the on the virus and the lockdown and what have you. But I think one of the biggest mistakes Trump made was not 
screaming bloody murder when the CDC decided they were going to count coronavirus deaths as of or with. That was a critical, critical moment because once you start counting the deaths of a virus that has clearly infected and will infect a huge portion of the public and you decide that anyone who dies with coronavirus is a coronavirus death and you're going to count those deaths in a way that have never been counted before. We have never done anything like this before, so we have nothing to compare it to. As soon as you do that, you're done. You're done because guess what? People are always going to die. We're going to have 7,000-plus deaths a day under the best of circumstances in this country. We're going to have 1,400 people at least a day die in nursing homes. So if the coronavirus is making its way through the population in any significant form, whether that's the cause of death or not is not going to matter. You're always going to be at a significant number of deaths on a daily basis. It's just basic math. And frankly, the idea that we're right around 1,000 deaths a day based upon our seven-day average That sounds like a horrible number, but when you consider the age and you consider the circumstances here, I don't think that's all that is that significant a number. Certainly not to the to the extent that it's causing still to this day this massive shutdown of the United States of America. I just don't see it because I don't believe that the virus is actually causing primarily the deaths of anybody who's not already old and infirmed. I don't see it. And, I mean, it sucks. It's terrible. It's a tragedy. It's a terrible situation. But it's my view that the more data we get, the more obvious it is that we have overreacted here, done things that are nonsensical, done things that have caused far more harm Uh, than they have prevented. I am unconvinced that we have saved that many lives. There's even the CDC uh, was forced to admit yesterday that we have more suicides and drug overdose deaths than we do of coronavirus deaths, even with the liberal definition of what a coronavirus death is. And so this has got to frustrate Trump tremendously uh, because he effectively got duped. He got duped by what was really going on here and how bad this was really going to be. And uh, and but he can't admit that because his ego is just too large. Correct. So there's no way he's ever going to admit, well, you know what? Uh, I overreacted. And, you know, we, we this is this was not a situation that warranted a complete shutdown for an entire half a year so far and maybe longer, much probably much longer than that of the, the what was the strongest economy, according to Trump. And there was some argument to be made on this behalf, the strongest economy in the history of the world. We're just going to shut it down. We're going to debilitate ourselves uh, over a situation where we may not even be saving that many lives, certainly not for, for very long when you consider that the average age of death is somewhere around 80 And when you look at Sweden, and Sweden now is averaging two deaths a day, uh, two deaths a day in Sweden, which blows apart the entire concept that if left unchecked by a government lockdown, everyone was going to die here. 
That was never going to happen. That was a false projection. The $2 million plus was a false projection, and it was the basis of everything. Well, it was wrong, and no one wants to admit that it was wrong, and no one wants to admit how much impact that had, but it had a huge impact on Donald Trump and his view of how to handle this. And now he's hosed because the, the, the data certainly does not suggest that things are under control, and they're not. I mean, again, I, I keep saying this. It is a serious situation. It is terrible. But we have decided to take a terrible situation and make it far, far worse than it needed to be. And one of the uh, issues where I'm sure he is very frustrated because his instincts appear now to be being vindicated, but it's too late because now the left is completely against it and the entire establishment is against it because it's seen as being pro-Trump, is this issue of hydroxychloroquine. Hydroxychloroquine, which is something I don't, you know, I knew nothing about before this whole thing began. I still don't know what the science says about it, but I'll tell you that there's an awful lot of different elements and sources here that are saying, hey, wait a minute, this thing actually does work. And, and it's remarkable how in the last couple of weeks this whole thing has evolved with hydroxychloroquine. Uh, there was an article in Newsweek, Newsweek, no conservative uh, outlet there, uh, one for which I personally have no love because they've screwed me in the past, but they are a, a liberal organization. They po- posted an article by a guy by the name of Harvey Risch, who's a doctor, Ph.D., professor of uh, epidemiology at uh, Yale School for Public Health. Yale! Yale! I mean, this is Yale uh, expert, Newsweek, and he, he wrote an article about how uh, effectively hydroxychloroquine is essentially a cure for the coronavirus. And and it didn't get a lot of publicity. Uh, Even Trump didn't hop on it uh, right away, which I I was stunned by, because obviously Trump had been out there very, very uh, early on and in a very controversial fashion, uh, triumphing the whole concept of hydroxychloroquine and its impact on treating coronavirus patients. And, And so this week, this whole issue has now exploded because there were a group of doctors who held a conference in Washington, D.C., and as part of that conference, they held a press conference. And this press conference was basically, uh, among many other things, they were saying that uh, hydroxychloroquine can, in fact, be used to save a lot of lives and might even be essentially a miracle cure for this thing. And as part of that press conference, which got no mainstream news media coverage, because after all, the mainstream news media has no interest in this. This is seen as a pro-Trump event. This is not a narrative that they like. This is not a narrative that fits what they want. Uh, And so they're not going to give any credibility to this. And we've seen this constantly through this crisis where people who are potentially experts who are doctors who are in the field who are saying something that is not consistent with the mainstream news media narrative and they are at best ignored and sometimes they are blatantly censored well that's what happened here and the reason why this got a lot of attention online was because of a dr stella emmanuel now dr stella emmanuel is apparently from jamaica and she's a doctor in texas and and she Uh, claims very, very passionately that she has treated hundreds of COVID patients with a combination of hydroxychloroquine and a couple of other uh, drugs where she says that 100% it has has cured 
the coronavirus and that no one has died. And she was uh, absolutely incensed by what she has seen in the news media and how the establishment has tried to destroy uh, this entire concept. And, and frankly, her speech to me, just from a human standpoint, was very compelling. I mean, she's, she's emphatic. I mean, there was, I have, at this point when I'm watching it, I have no idea what her background is. I just know this is a woman who's not lying. She's not lying. I mean, she believes it. Now, uh, whether that means it's true or not, I don't know. I have no idea. This is not anything close to my area of expertise. But I know this woman's not lying, and I know that she's compelling. Well, a lot of other people thought that she was compelling as well because the thing went super viral, and millions and millions of people around the world and here in America uh, saw the video. So what ends up happening? The video gets blatantly censored by Facebook, by YouTube, by Twitter. The conference gets censored. I mean, it is full-on Orwellian 1984 censorship of what these doctors are saying. And the attacks on her have been amazing because, first of all, she happens to be a black woman. Normally, being a black woman who's a doctor would get you all sorts of media protection, except when you're on the wrong side of a hot-button issue like this. And so now she must be destroyed. She is a danger, and she must be destroyed. And she's given people a lot of reasons to destroy her because she does believe in a lot of wacky shit. I mean, she, she does appear to be a bit crazy. I mean, she believes in a demon sperm and alien DNA and all that sorts of stuff, which I think is obviously relevant to evaluating her credibility. But can someone please focus on the actual subject at hand? Does her alleged cure work? Is she lying about her experience with COVID patients? That's all I want to know. Yeah, it's interesting that she's got a lot of wacky beliefs, but that doesn't mean that she's lying. And there's, she's not the only one saying this. As I mentioned, this uh, Dr. Rich from Yale and, and others who are part of this conference are all saying very similar things. There are other people who are respected experts that are saying it. Just because Donald Trump happens to have been in favor of something doesn't mean necessarily that it's wrong. Correct. Sometimes he might be right just by accident. Or in this, and sometimes he actually has halfway decent instincts. And this might have been one of those situations. Again, I don't know enough about the science, but I do know the media is attacking this woman in ways that they know will be effective because they don't want to uh, have to take her seriously, but have which have nothing to do with the subject at hand. And it is remarkable to me and pathetic and disgusting that we are now making something that could be a, a situation where lives are not being saved that could be because it doesn't fit a political agenda. That's pathetic. That is that is that is something that should incense reasonable people that has nothing to do with Donald Trump. But it shows the anti Midas touch that Trump has. And so now we're in this bizarro world situation. And I even asked on Twitter about, I don't know, half a day or a day before it started to happen. Why has Trump not 
jumped all over this. This is vindication for him. Why is he not retweeting this stuff? So then he did retweet all of this stuff. And that's when the social media gods really clamped down and decided to shut the whole situation down. That they were going to go full censorship. And, and the censorship thing, I'm against censorship of all types. But, you know, if we found out that Dr. Stella Emanuel is not a doctor and that she really hasn't treated COVID patients, you know what? I'd be all, I'd be fine with that. Take the video down. Take it down because this is a serious situation. This person doesn't know what they're talking about. They're giving false information. But we haven't found anything like that out. Nothing. All, all this is based on is that, you know, this is not the medical consensus that's a, that has been approved by the establishment. So therefore, because uh, liberals on Twitter and Facebook uh, hate this because it, it seems to support Donald Trump, we must destroy it. And, it, you know, I used to think that, OK, or you know, I'm old enough to remember when if you want to destroy an idea, you attack it based upon facts and logic and an argument. No, no, you don't do that anymore. No, you, you censor now. You, know, you just censor it. And the censoring, of course, only happens when something has gotten popular, which is bizarre, right? So if, so if no one had found this compelling, would they have not censored it? I mean, if it had only gotten a few thousand views instead of many million, would, would Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook, would they still have censored this? I doubt it, which is you know, bizarre because... I realize there are a lot of stupid people out there. I, I get it. I understand that. I love the poorly educated. And, and I realize that everything on the Internet, you know, is not true. All I know is what's on the Internet. I, oftentimes it's complete batshit craziness. But that doesn't inherently make it so. And so, so when millions of people find something compelling, doesn't make it true. In fact, oftentimes it makes it, you know, might mean it's false because people like to believe things that are not true that make them feel better about themselves. I get all that. But you ought to at least consider, well, maybe there's a reason why people found it so compelling that they watched and shared it. And of course, when you censor it, (laughs) this does nothing to help quell the conspiracy theories that you're trying to combat. They allegedly, you know, the, the alleged theory behind the censorship is, well, you know, we, we, we don't believe, want conspiracy theories to gain traction because it'll harm public health because people will believe things that are not true. Well, there's nothing you're going to do which is going to facilitate conspiracy theories more than by having the entire social media establishment censor a doctor, several doctors, from giving their opinions about this. Because then immediately people naturally react, well, wait a minute, why are you censoring this? There must be something to it. So it actually has the exact opposite impact of what the social media gods are are claiming is their goal. And I want to emphasize, I have no idea what the true reality of hydroxychloroquine is. I just know that there's a lot of people now who are saying, hey, wait a minute, maybe we dis- we disregarded uh, this uh, possibility too quickly. And I, I am open to that theory because... I have seen it happen constantly with regard to the way that the left establishment treats anything that is seen as pro-Trump. And as soon as it's seen as pro-Trump, then it is automatically wrong. 
not because of the science, but because of the politics involved, because every single person in this establishment is virently anti-Trump. And this is the way human beings work. And in this case, we might be seeing a situation where public health is suffering because of people claiming that they're in favor of science when they're really being dramatically impacted by their political persuasions. And the censorship part of this is just disgusting to me. I mean, really, you're just you're just going to censor videos now from people who who are who they say they are, who are just giving their opinions. And, uh, and unless there's new information, and by now, I'm pretty certain that information would be out there if, if, for instance, if Dr. Emanuel was completely full of shit and never actually had uh, treated any of these COVID patients with hydroxychloroquine and this, this other formula that she's come up with, it, it, you're just going to censor them. You're just going to say, you know what? We're not allowing people to decide for themselves. We, we, we don't trust people to be able to decide for themselves on whether or not someone is credible. And, and we're just going to say in a, in, a, in a country that is supposedly based upon the concept of freedom of expression and freedom of speech, we're just going to say, no, sorry, doesn't fit with our narrative. We're not going to even allow people to see it. Really? You cannot be serious. But that's where we are now. That's where we are. This is how Orwellian, how 1984-ish this whole thing has gotten. And it's really starting to scare people. And it's wrong. And in, in a weird way, it might actually help Trump because to his base, they now see this as, uh, you know, some giant conspiracy to make sure that he's not reelected. And frankly, it's getting harder to combat that because of all the times that this has happened. The schools being a great example where everyone flip flops on schools, masks, where everyone flip flops on masks. There's been other situations as well. The reality is this is part of a clear pattern that we've seen from the beginning here that is not about science. And therefore, I have no, even myself, have no trust that people are telling me the truth based upon science. They are being motivated by politics. They are being motivated by not wanting to upset their fan base. And that's what is driving the social media giants, I believe. And as far as the left's treatment of this Dr. Emanuel, oh, my gosh, the hypocrisy here is unbelievable. If she had somehow been on the side that they wanted and was speaking so passionately and in such a compelling fashion as a black female from Jamaica, oh, my gosh, the attacks on her, if they came from the right, would be presumed presumed 100% to be racist. Correct. And then that, there is not even a question about that. Not even a question. If she was being attacked because of, you know, the, the demon sperm and the alien DNA and, and uh, her beliefs in Christianity and all that kind of stuff, oh my gosh, it would be presumed inherently. Oh my God, you, you right-wing nuts, you hate women, you hate black women. You know, this cultural stuff, it's just cultural. It has nothing to do with her experience with COVID patients. That's what we would be hearing from the left. A hundred percent. And to me, they've just lost all their credibility because it's all impacted by their view of Trump. And frankly, that is 
if there's something that makes this podcast unique, it's that. Because I am able to see Trump objectively. I am able to see the good and the bad with Donald Trump. I don't like him. I do not like him as a person. I've already said I think he's going to make America far worse than it was before he got here, and it's going to be a very, very, very long-lasting impact. But that doesn't mean he's always wrong. And some of his instincts have actually been halfway decent. And I'm sure he's frustrated as hell that he is now in a situation where he didn't follow his instincts. He trusted people like Dr. Fauci. And uh, and he's now in a situation where there's no narrative that fits for him going forward into the heart of his reelection campaign. There's just no way for him to bridge this gap. And it, part of it's his fault. I mean, he, he went from this is nothing to this is everything. And now almost on a daily basis, he shifts, you know, from from, uh, you know, what I would call the more wussified perspective on this situation to pretending that he's still going to be the lone warrior and fight back. And really, all of this goes back to Dr. Fauci. Dr. Fauci is at the heart of all of this. And I've said for quite a long time on this podcast that, that Trump and Fauci were headed for a divorce. They, they had to be headed for a divorce because uh, Fauci who I said very early on, I said very early on in this, I don't trust him because he seems like an attention whore to me. Do not trust a guy like that. Uh, this was finally his moment in the sun. After all these years and this being his, his expertise, this was his moment. And boy, was he loving it. And he has been wrong about virtually everything. He has taken virtually every side of every position, and he has been wrong on almost all of it. And yet he is revered. He is the expert. Again, he's the anti-Trump. That's why the media loves him. Well, if you're someone who's an attention whore, who loves the media attention and the media love, and you know that the basis of your media love is that you are seen as the anti-Trump and that you're seen as the guy who effectively uh, ended the Trump presidency, are you going to do anything to endanger that? Are you going to do anything to disrupt that narrative or that reality? No, because the media attention, the media love is your drug. He's a drug addict. And so he's not going to do anything to disrupt that. So he's never going to tell the media something that they don't want to hear. And he's always going to create a narrative or forward a narrative that protects that. And he knows that a huge part of that is He's the anti-Trump. And the idea that Trump effectively handed over his presidency to Dr. Fauci, I'm sure, has to drive Trump nuts. Correct. Uh, Even though he's still saying nice things about him personally, there have been attacks that have now been ratcheted up. In fact, even in the last 24 hours uh, from the Trump camp against Dr. Fauci. And, you know, as far as this issue of him being an attention whore, I think that um, my case was made in the last week with something that happened uh, just after uh, our last episode. And that is Dr. Fauci threw out the first pitch for Major League Baseball. Now, I realize that a lot of people don't fully understand why something like this is significant. They think this is trivial. They think this is just a fun thing and he's being honored. And, you know, what difference does it make that he threw one of the worst first pitches in the history uh, of first pitches? 
Uh, and, you know, they, they think that, you know, somehow I'm now on a vendetta against Dr. Fauci and that I'm overreacting to something that's not that significant. Let me tell you why this whole first pitch situation was exceedingly significant and I believe revealed who Dr. Fauci really is. First of all, in order to, to throw out the first pitch, he needs to approve that. <laughs> he needs to want to do that. He can easily say, no, thank you, that's not appropriate. And that probably would have been the right decision. In fact, for sure, that would have been the right decision, not just because it seems weird and unseemly to, to be, you know, honored uh, throwing out the first pitch when, when, frankly, you haven't done anything. You've been a disaster. I mean, it's the, you know, based upon the data, you're the guy in charge. Uh, you know, 150,000 deaths are theoretically at least partially on you. You've been wrong about everything. But even more important than how it looks, and I'm all for having fun in the right situations. We haven't no, had no fun this year at all. So, so I'm in, in theory, I'm all in favor of trying to have some fun. But here's the other problem. It's a massive conflict of interest. And we've already seen in the last week, how this conflict of interest is playing out. Because when you uh, throw out the first pitch for Major League Baseball, and then, by the way, you allow Major League Baseball or, or tops to turn the picture of you throwing out that first pitch into a baseball card, which, again, requires your approval, turns out to be the highest-selling baseball card they've had this year by far. So when you approve that, yeah, you're going to throw out the first pitch, and you approve that tops is going to make a baseball card out of you, and then something like what happens with the Florida Marlins baseball team and half the team gets the coronavirus and they have to suspend their season and you get asked to comment on what that means for what Major League Baseball is doing, you are inherently conflicted. What you say can no longer be trusted because now you're literally part of the baseball team. You're part of the baseball establishment. They've just honored you. You've accepted that. You're on a baseball card. So now, in either direction, you can no longer be trusted. If you really care about the credibility of what you're saying, and let's be clear, the credibility is all you got in this situation, then you don't do that kind of stuff unless you're an attention whore, unless your need for that attention and that drug is so great, you don't care about your credibility. You don't care about potential conflict of interest. So he should never have done it, number one. Number two, he gets out there, he embarrasses himself horrendously with this horrific pitch. And we've now learned, which I think, again, it sounds trivial, but I find this to be a fascinating little detail about why his first pitch was so terrible. He has now said, and he's an excuse maker, he's, he, that's for sure. He he's such a, has a, such a massive ego that he never wants to admit he was wrong or did anything bad. But he has now said that, his practice for the first pitch, I, you cannot make this up, his practice for the first pitch did not properly prepare him because, get this, he didn't know that the mound was 60 feet away from home plate. He did not know that the mound in a baseball stadium is 60 feet from home plate. What? 
It's just flat out ridiculous. He's 79, 80 years old. He's been in America his whole life. He's apparently played sports. He was supposedly a basketball star, but I, I cannot believe he was a basketball star. Uh, you forget about how short he is. And and not, I mean, every American kid in that era, in, the, in his generation, knows that a baseball mound is 60 feet, six inches, the, the rubber is, from home plate. I mean, that's part of your DNA as an American kid when you're in that generation, especially. How can you not know that? But more importantly, so you went out and practiced for this with the wrong information? So blatantly wrong that you were apparently throwing from apparent about 40 feet and not 60 feet? And you never bothered to check? A 15-second Google search would have told you how far the mound is from home plate? Now, again, people think, John, why do you care about it? Because it shows his M.O. It shows he's not detailed in his research. If he doesn't know this, what else is he not researching? If he hasn't Googled how far it is from home plate to the pitcher's mound, maybe he hasn't Googled hydroxychloroquine, for heaven's sakes. This is a guy who has haphazardly in congressional testimony said that kids might be dying of Kawasaki syndrome with no evidence. And that's been dropped now. This totally dropped. Uh, this disappeared into the ether. I found that to be very telling. The whole situation with the first pitch. And then after he throws out the horrible first pitch, what does he do? He goes into the stands with his wife and a close friend. They're sitting right next to each other. No social distancing at all. They're in a, they're the only people in the entire stadium, you know, like, like royalty. They get to watch a baseball game that no one else is allowed to watch in person. No social distancing. And then we get photographs of Fauci not wearing his mask. And now it gets really interesting. And, of course, the excuses. My God, the excuses that the Fauci you know, mafia uh, makes for him are just extraordinary. They said, well, he's drinking water. His, his claim was he was drinking water, uh, and that's why his mask was down. Um, no. First of all, there are no pictures of him drinking water. There's not even pictures of him uh, holding water like he's going to drink it. But even more importantly than that, more interestingly than that, there's more than one photograph because there's one photograph of him uh, t turning to the guy to his right who is wearing a mask, uh, who is not related to him, doesn't live with him, uh, you know, but less than, way less than six feet away. They're like on top of each other. Fauci's not wearing a mask. He's laughing, uh, you know, facing him with no mask. And then there's another picture, which clearly shows that time has passed, where his wife on his left goes from wearing a mask to not wearing a mask. And Fauci is in repose with his hands together, uh, clearly in, in a, uh, a, a state of a, you know, rest. Uh, nothing is happening. Clearly time has gone by. The reality is he didn't wear his mask because he knows the mask thing is bullshit. That's the reality of it. He doesn't really believe it. There's also been videos of him uh, when, you know, his congressional testimony, as soon as the cameras are off, he takes off the mask. I mean, so he doesn't believe it. And I don't mind. I don't I don't blame him for that because I think he has enough information to know the mask isn't going to do anything. I, I'm, I'm unconvinced that masks do anything in most situations. 
but it's the hypocrisy of it and the, the lengths to which people are willing to go to come up with excuses for him that are just hilarious. It, it is a cult. I mean, there's a Trump cult and there's absolutely a Fauci cult. And the facts don't matter. Reality doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much he's, I mean, he's literally laughing in the faces of the mask Nazis. And, and yet they are still defending him. And then, uh, you know, this, this divorce with Trump, uh, the separation slash divorce with Trump, although he's not been technically fired yet, he's been essentially sidelined, which, by the way, is what I, I had suggested Trump do uh, many months ago without actually firing him. Uh, in response to all this, and I love this, Fauci actually says, I have not misled the American people in response to Trump attacks on him. And I found this to be uh, just flat out ridiculous because as we articulated and documented in the last episode, that's literally his explanation for why he was wrong on masks. Literally, his explanation is, no, no, I wasn't wrong. I was just misleading people because I didn't want there to be a run on masks. And yet here he has the gall to say to the American people, I haven't misled you. No, no, that's literally your explanation. Literally, your explanation is, I misled you. And I don't believe that explanation. We played the clip. It doesn't make any damn sense uh, at all. It was not a misleading. Uh, he's not that good of an actor. Uh, he, he, uh, uh, he was mocking masks in, in March. And what changed? What changed was the politics. What changed was everyone saw this as a signal of you, your virtue and signal of your opposition to Donald Trump. And if you want to be considered the foremost expert, you better get on board before that train leaves the station. So that's what Fauci did, because he knows where his bread is buttered. He knows what his fan base is, and he loves the attention. So I found that whole baseball situation to be very, very telling. It's also telling about Trump, because what does Trump end up doing after Fauci's first pitch disaster? Trump ends up backing out of throwing the first pitch at Yankee Stadium, like the big, fat wussy that he is. Now, who knows why, but it's pretty clear he's afraid what happens if he throws a bad pitch. And this is a guy who claims to be a baseball star from his youth. Even, I think even I remember seeing an interview with him once where he thought he could uh, play minor league baseball. Uh, I'm sure that was garbage, like almost everything about Donald Trump's biography. But he, he did play baseball. And here he is afraid to throw out the first pitch because he's, he's, I'm assuming, that's my assessment, he saw what happened to Fauci and he doesn't want the same thing to happen to him. Correct. So, uh, you know, Trump doesn't get off the hook with regard to this first pitch stuff either. But I found that whole situation to be very, very telling about who Dr. Fauci is and how we have gotten ourselves into this horrendous situation here in America. A few other things before we end uh, this episode of the podcast. Uh, Trump uh, announced a very bizarre deal. I have no idea how this is going to work, but I, 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 I'm suspicious of it from a, from a stock standpoint. But all of a sudden, Donald Trump has single-handedly saved the Kodak Corporation. Changing Kodak which is from obsolete, uh, no longer really even existence, camera company and film company to now they're going to do medical supplies, effectively being hired by the government to do this. And their stock exploded. 
uh, I would like to I would really like there to be an investigation of how this all went down and who knew who who, who knew that this deal was going to be in the works? Because for the government, I mean, talk about picking winners and losers. The federal government just picked, uh, you know, basically just salvaged the Kodak Corporation. And, you know, good for the people of Rochester, New York. But that and, and I hope it works out. But uh, that was that was very, very suspicious. Uh, what happened there with the uh, Kodak out of the blue, uh, you know, being salvaged by by one act by Donald Trump. Uh, it's interesting. He also talked yesterday about the vaccine situation, and he talked a pretty darn good game about how the military is already ready to go to distribute this vaccine if and when it actually exists. I have been skeptical uh, of when this is going to happen, how effective it's going to be, and whether or not even that is going to be enough to finally get the left to say, okay, we can go back to, to regular life. I, I am. It's one of my greatest concerns in all this is that once Biden wins, which he, he probably will, and, and then the vaccine comes along, that there are going to be people on the left who are not going to want to give up this kind of power and are going to say, well, look, you know, the vaccine's unproven. we got to still save every life. It doesn't last for that long. You need multiple doses. Uh, so, um, but I, I found what Trump said on the military to be interesting, if true, that, 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 that this is already a plan that supposedly, according to him, is ready to go in an unprecedented fashion. Speaking of our military, it should be pointed out uh, that Trump has announced pulling out of 12,000 U.S. troops from Germany in an act that Mitt Romney is castigating as being a betrayal of one of our best allies and a betrayal of NATO. This is because, according to Trump, uh, Germany has not pulled its weight uh, within NATO, not paid their bills, I don't know what's really going on as far as you know whether or not this is a shot at Andrew Merkel or what have you, but uh, it's kind of amazing that the uh, United States is effectively pulling out of Germany uh, with our troops, troops that have been there since World War II, troops that, that were there because I happen to have been born in Heidelberg, Germany, in the military hospital there. So this is an issue that uh, is literally uh, close to my heart because my father was in the U.S. military stationed in Germany at the time. Uh, so that is an extraordinary development, and we'll see whether or not that actually comes uh, to fruition. As far as the stimulus package that is still being debated in Congress, uh, it appears as if Americans are going to get another check, another handout. It's just amazing to me that we're now just a, such a socialist country. We're just going to give people money for absolutely nothing. And we're not even sure we're going to eliminate the extra money people get for unemployment. People have been getting over $600 a week, a week in extra unemployment because of the coronavirus crisis. Most Republicans want that to end. I don't think they're going to be able to fully end it. There's a, a proposal out there that it gets reduced to $200 a week. The reason why this is so outrageous is not just because people are getting paid a lot of money by the government to do absolutely nothing, but they're actually being paid in a way that prevents them from going back to work. I mean, really? You cannot be serious. I mean, that's that's effectively what's happening. How in the world can a small business possibly, under these circumstances especially, uh, get back to any semblance of business when you can't even hire people? Because no one's going to go back to work in a dangerous situation when they're making $600 more than, than unemployment to do nothing. It's just flat out ridiculous. Uh, and Republicans are probably going to go along with 
with it to some degree because they're afraid of an election year issue of Democrats being able to say that the unemployment benefits were taken away by those mean, nasty Republicans. And Republicans are terrified they're going to lose the Senate as it is, not to mention the presidency. And so they're all a bunch of wussies here in California, which I just find absolutely unfathomable since we're supposedly totally broke. And I assume that we really are. They're talking about supplementing the unemployment for the $600 if the federal government doesn't keep paying the extra $600. So essentially, our state government is doing everything they possibly can to prevent small businesses from surviving. It is an active agenda by our state government to prevent any kind of recovery and to, and to make sure there's as much long-term unemployment as possible. And that's the effective reality of it. I do want to mention that Bill Barr testified, the attorney general testified yesterday to the House Judiciary Committee I found this interesting mainly because um, my own personal reaction to it was not what I expected. I I hate Bill Barr. I called Bill Barr earlier than anybody else did when the when the Mueller report started to come out. Uh, I'm not going to get into that. I was really one of the first people to say, hold on a second. Are we really going to trust Bill Barr here that his assessment of the Mueller report is accurate? I was dead on right about that. Bill Barr is a dick. That's, uh, that's what he is. He, I and mean, that was clear as day yesterday. You watched any of his testimony yesterday. He is a flaming cock. That's what that guy is. Uh, and now sometimes you need a dick uh, you know, in, your, in your favor. Um, and, you know, and so I, I have absolutely no respect for the guy. I think he's a snake. Uh, and, uh, you know, I wish he was not attorney general. However, and this is what I found interesting. The, the Democrats have gone so crazy. They are so nuts, so insane. I actually found myself at times watching this testimony somewhat rooting for Bill Barr. That's, that's the insanity. That's the insanity that, that, it is, that things uh, are currently in right now. Boy, that escalated quickly. I, I, I was stunned. I was stunned myself. Well, how am I rooting for Bill Barr? I hate this guy. But that's how nuts most, not all, but most of the questioning on the left was. Now, there were some important elements. And one of the things that I found to be most interesting was uh, when Eric Swalwell, uh, who is a Democrat, who ran for president for about uh, five minutes, uh, he asked uh, Bill Barr about the commutation of Roger Stone's sentence after Roger Stone had been convicted on seven counts uh, of perjury, lying to Congress, and and what effectively was the Russian investigation. Uh, Barr called the Russian investigation yesterday's testimony bogus, which I I, com- I completely disagree with. Uh, I'm not going to get into that. Uh, I mean, that is not a bogus investigation. It is completely inappropriate for the Attorney General of the United States to even say that. It, it resulted in numerous legitimate convictions, most of which, or many of which, uh, were pled guilty to. Uh, and and frankly, as I've already said today, Mueller went easy on Donald Trump. So the, the idea that it was a bogus investigation is is completely false. But uh, Swalwell wanted to get into this issue of the commutation and whether or not this act by Donald Trump 
for a friend and political advisor in a situation where he was directly involved. This was to protect Trump. That's the part of this whole Stone situation that people need to understand. This was not some, some crime that was unrelated to the president. This was directly related to the president and his election campaign, whether or not that could be considered a crime based upon things that Barr himself has said previously. And here's what that sounded like. At your confirmation hearing, you were asked, do you believe a president could lawfully issue a pardon in exchange for the recipient's promise to not incriminate him? You said, no, not to what? That would be a crime. You were asked, could a president issue a pardon in exchange for the recipient's promise to not incriminate him? And you responded, no, that would be a crime. Is that right? Yes, I said that. You said a crime. You didn't say it'd be wrong. You didn't say it'd be unlawful. You said it'd be a crime. And when you said that, that a president swapping a pardon to silence a witness would be a crime, you were promising the American people that if you saw that, you would do something about it. Is that right? That's right. Now, Mr. Barr, are you investigating Donald Trump for commuting the prison sentence of his longtime friend and political advisor, Roger Stone? No. Why not? Why should I? Well, let's talk about that. Mr. Stone was convicted by a jury on seven counts of lying in the Russia investigation. He bragged that he lied to save Trump's butt. But why would he lie? Your prosecutors, Mr. Barr, told a jury that Stone lied because the truth looked bad for Donald Trump. And what truth is that? Well, Donald Trump denied in written answers to the Russia investigators that he talked to Roger Stone during the time Roger Stone was in contact with agents of a Russian influence operation. There's evidence that Trump and Stone indeed did, did talk during that time. You would agree that it's a federal crime to lie under oath. Is that right? Yes. It's a crime for you. It's a crime for me. And it's certainly a crime for the president of the United States. Is that right? Yes. So if Donald Trump lied to the Mueller investigators, which you agree would be a crime, then Roger Stone was in a position to expose Donald Trump's lies. Are you familiar with the December 3rd, 2018 tweet where Donald Trump said Roger Stone had shown guts by not testifying against him? No, I'm not familiar with that. You don't read the president's tweets? No. Well, there's a lot of evidence in the president's tweets, Mr. Attorney General. I think you should start reading them because he said Mr. Stone showed guts. But on July 10 of this year, Roger Stone declared to a reporter, I had 29 or 30 conversations with Trump during the campaign period. Trump knows I was under enormous pressure to turn on him. It would have eased my situation considerably, but I didn't. I, I really believe that the, the Stone commutation uh, is as, as outrageous as it gets. And maybe it's beyond the capabilities of most people to fully understand why. Or maybe we're just so already determined and in our corners on, on who Trump is that it doesn't, there's no, there are no uh, impressionable or undecided voters that will be impacted by it. But that, that's, as, that's as swampy as you get. For a guy who got elected saying, drain the swamp, to commute the sentence of someone convicted of multiple counts of lying to Congress to protect you and to do so during an election uh, is just so mind-blowing. Uh, I mean, even I thought that he would wait until after the election. I thought that the the pardon palooza would occur on November 4th until uh, the end of his term after he loses. But Trump just doesn't care. Trump and, and he's so brazen about it. And part of it's because he knows Bill Barr is not going to do anything. 
that Bill Barr is on his team and that he is effectively acting as Trump's own lawyer rather than the lawyer for the United States of America. And it's outrageous, but I guess we've just we've become so desensitized to all these outrages that it doesn't even register anymore. I mean, no one even talks about the Roger Stone situation, uh, which is just amazing to me. Maybe it'll come back up uh, once, you know, the debates occur and and the the campaign gets more uh, heated. But I I just I'm disgusted by it. And it reminds me of why it is that I oppose Trump to begin with. But it also (laughs) reminds me, you know what, as terrible as all that is. And as dangerous as all that is and as cancerous as all that is on our, our, our way of life and our government, Trump has still never taken any of my freedoms away, unlike the Democrats have done over the last four months. And so, you know, I guess my own anger about that has been muted because of that perspective. And as far as where we're heading in this election, I still believe that Donald Trump is a heavy underdog. It's, it's, it was funny to me today that he tweeted Once again, the Trojan horse metaphor. We've talked about this before. There's even been a a campaign ad that the Trump people made where Joe Biden is a Trojan horse filled with uh, all these socialist whack jobs like AOC and Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and Bernie Sanders. And once they're inside the gates of Troy and Biden is elected, they're going to all come out of the Trojan horse and they're going to destroy Troy. I find this to be particularly hilarious, one, because I actually made this analogy even before Trump started to use it. But in this analogy, I see him as the guy who opened the gates of Troy. Come on in. And uh, and not only that, but he gave the Greeks hiding in the Trojan horse lethal weapons, weapons that they could never possibly imagine having before Trump's existence and that they're already out of the Trojan horse and they're already burning down Troy. That's the way I see it. And the, 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 the burning of Troy will, will really commence once Trump loses. Although I, I am still delusionally hopeful that maybe, just maybe, that's when they might start to put their own brakes on things because they'll be afraid of the next election where they might actually lose because now they're fully in charge and uh, allegedly at least responsible and accountable for what happens. Right now, they get to do whatever they want because Trump's in charge and they view him as essentially impotent now because he's doing so poorly in the polls. And he is doing very poorly in the polls. There's no question that almost all the polls are dreadful for Donald Trump. His disapproval rating, in other words, his the disapproval of him is now 13 points higher on average than his approval rating. That, by any logical assessment, should be DOA for re-election. There's no way you can get re-elected with a negative 13 disapproval rating with an economy that is obviously hanging by a thread because of the coronavirus situation, where life has been completely destroyed, and where no one's going to say, my life is better than it was four years ago. I mean, there's just no way you can win. However, and I, and I say this you know, with all sorts of... Uh, uh, of stipulations. However, there's at least one poll today uh, on the, of the key uh, battleground states where Trump is showing at least a pulse. This is a CNBC poll where they've taken the six key states, the states where this election will be decided, it includes Florida, by the way, where 
where Trump is getting shellacked now in Florida, which if, if he loses Florida, it's over, it's done. He cannot possibly win. But Florida is one of those six states. Well, in these six states, there's not one of them, according to CNBC, and it's not a great poll, but there's, but there's something about the poll that I found interesting. But, it's, but Biden doesn't hit 50% in any of those six states. Not one of those six states does Biden hit 50 percent. And then not one of them is Biden leading by much more than the margin of error in the poll. He's leading in all of them, but it's only by a couple of points, three, four, five points tops in every one of those states. So when he hasn't hit 50 percent and he's not that far beyond the margin of error, it means that Trump still has a pulse. Now, again, it's not a great poll. The sample size was small. But there was one element that gave it credibility to me, and that is that Trump's approval rating within this pool of respondents was a negative 12, which is essentially what it's been, as I already mentioned, nationwide in all these other polls. You know, it's 13 on average. In this poll, it was negative 12. What that means is that this sample was not somehow pro-Trump. And the way I interpret this is, tentatively, because it's just one poll with a small sample size, is that Biden hasn't sealed the deal quite yet. He's really close, but he hasn't sealed it yet. That Trump is still within the possibility of making this a close election. He would have to run the table in a way that makes what happened in 2016 seem like child's play. But it's, it's theoretically possible especially if somehow events broke his direction. Now, there's going to be a major event that may occur before our next episode. I don't know exactly when next week, but supposedly Joe Biden is going to announce his vice presidential pick. And, of course, no matter who it is, the news media is going to have orgasms over it. I mean, that's, that's obvious. Everyone knows that because it's going to be a black woman. And so there's going to be orgasms of, of history. Oh, my gosh, history, history, history. Nothing the media loves more than racial history, gender history. And so we already know it's going to be a black female. Somehow that's not affirmative action. I don't know how you get around that, but, the, but because the media is creating the narrative, Biden will be able to make this pick without being accused of making an affirmative action pick. It's, it's essentially going to be one of three people. It's going to be Kamala Harris, Val Demings, a congresswoman from from Florida or Susan Rice, former Barack Obama administration official. I, I don't believe it's going to be Rice. I think it's between Rice, uh, I mean, between Harris and Demings. I am rooting for Demings for the country because I think she's smarter and less crazy than Kamala Harris. But, you know, most people seem to think Kamala Harris is the favorite. Uh, because she's got the most name recognition. She ran for president. She's a senator from California. I think Harris would be a mistake by Biden. I, I, I think she would open up the possibility of this backlash narrative having a chance to get Trump back in the ball game here because of her persona. I don't know that Demings would do that. So if I was Biden, I would go with Val Demings. Uh, I don't know who he's going to go with, but I'm pretty confident it's going to be one of those three people. And maybe in the next episode, uh, we'll be able to talk in greater detail about that incredibly, very, very significant decision on all sorts of fronts by Joe Biden, probably the biggest decision of his entire uh, campaign. So that'll do it for this episode of the Individual One Podcast. As always, please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Individual Number One Pod. That's at Individual Number One Pod. 
By the way, for the record, we're going to keep the percentage of chances of Donald Trump gaining re-election at 10%, which is what it was last week. So we'll, we'll keep it there. Again, please, no wagering and keep your social distance. Until next time, my name is John Ziegler. This is the Global Story Network.